On today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, we are continuing our generational leadership series and talking with Steve Bourne. Steve is the VP of Marketing for Globus Family of Brands. In today's episode, Steve shares his insights as a Gen X leader and how he's adjusted to bridge the generational gap at Globus. It's Jen DeWall, and today I am going to be interviewing a Gen Xer for our Generational Leadership Series. Today in the studio, we have Steve Bourne, and Steve is going to give us the insight on what it feels like and what it looks like to be a Gen X leader, as well as how he interacts and how he sees the differences in generations in his organization and throughout his experience in his career. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. And so for those of you that aren't familiar, Gen X is the generation that was born between 1965 and 1981. You're kind of that generation that's right in the middle of everyone in the workplace right now, huh? We are the official Jan Brady of generations. So (laughs) we've got Cindy, you know, that millennials, the younger, get all the attention. Then we got Marsha. Marsha, 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 the boomers, <laughs> everything's about Marsha. So we're officially right there, Jan Brady. Right. And they're smaller, right? They're respectively smaller than the baby boomer and that millennial generation. So just a little bit smaller in population size. Yeah. You know, we've been um, sandwiched really by two huge cohorts with the boomers, you know, leading the, the free world, you know, for 30 years now biggest generation of, of our lifetime, and then millennials who match that uh, uh, boomer number in terms of sheer size. And, you know, we're right in there in between and quite a bit smaller, but pretty sturdy. Yeah, absolutely. And I like I just looked up a recent statistic that said that Generation X actually makes up right around 50 percent of the leaders in today's workforce. Well, we're right in that sweet spot right now, you know, between the ages of 40 to 54 right now. So we've got that responsibility. That's that, you know, layer of responsibility right now where we're driving the business, we're in key decision-making positions. Often case we're not the owner, we don't have our name on the door, um, but really carrying a lot of that responsibility with it. And with that, managing on both ends a workforce full of eager millennials who have way more knowledge than we ever had have um, functionally at this point. And on the other end, the boomers who bring the wealth of experience and, of course, you know, not to generalize our friends too much, but um, they'll tell you at, at every turn, you know, how they did it in their day as well to manage that. So really it is, you know, the way that you framed it really in that that tweener generation between the two sides. And actually, before this uh, uh, podcast, Jen, I looked this up. I wanted to see, okay, where in in the hierarchy of generations, where does Gen X rank? I actually found this cat, Brad Stanhope. Brad, if you're out there, he's a boomer. Uh, (laughs) You know, maybe by the end of this this, uh, recording, this podcast will turn you around a little bit. But Brad actually ranked generations one through five. Oh. And I'm 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 not surprised to see that at the bottom of the heap was was Gen X. And this is our life. This is kind of what where we've been our whole lives, you know, just kind of smaller, underappreciated, you know, between the mega generations of millennials and boomers, 
that tweener, the Jan Brady syndrome. You know, I, I, I'm going to seek Brad out and I'm going to, you know, have a few words with him about that. But being ranked five out of five, you know, that that's tough because as you said right now too, we're leading a lot of the, the organizational responsibility positions right now and kind of managing both ends of that. Right. So I guess we have a hole to climb out of. Right. Well, why do you think Gen X gets a bad rap by, by people? Like, why would he give you a five out of five ranking? Jen, excellent question. I've been thinking about this probably my whole life. Is um, why boomers, with, with all due respect, boomers have been the generation that's been enlightened, that's been empowered, that their whole lives they've been professional consumers. Their parents weren't uh, in need of, for the most part, weren't in need of kind of the essentials. So their focus was on their kids and their focus was on bringing up this generation in a peaceful environment that had everything at their disposal. And the age of consumerism blossomed right. with boomers at the helm. Um, every convenience that we have around the house today was at some point driven by a need from a boomer. And so self-importance and the, the value of following your muse and finding what's important to you and that you can do anything in life and um, the world is yours. Just go get it. And, and life kind of creating that environment for them. And we needed that. We needed that consumer influence at that time in that workforce to, to take charge and get us out of the, the post-war recovery and, and with that propel us and do amazing things. And so throughout their entire careers in their adult life, they've been constantly rewarded by these major advancements, you know, technological, even we had one yesterday with the 50th anniversary of the moonshot is that we have made in, in this, through this generation, we have made more advances in our culture in our society than ever. And boomers have been at the helm. And so of course they feel it, right? Yes, <laughs> we've done this. We've achieved, we've grown. Look at the status. We build America really to, to position the U.S. and, and where we are today. It was really built on the, on the shoulders and, and the heels and the hands of boomers. So they deserve, no doubt, they Absolutely. deserve all of that. And then you have us. <laughs> The Everything, Gen Xers. The Gen Xers, the Jan Brady. Not that charge. Um, they were invested, and you know, I can I say this with all due respect, but the world told them to invest in themselves, to go create, you know, what they want life to be and what they want their future to be. And kids, for the most part, were a byproduct and not a focal point. Really, I can speak, you know, from true experience on that, that, that the latchkey kid generation is no misnomer. They were out doing their thing, left us a key under the mat. We had to ride a bike from school back home with no helmet, by the way, to you get survived. the key, survive, <laughs> like to do it ourselves because boomers were out conquering the world. And, you know, our, our folks were out conquering the world and they had big things to accomplish. We were a part of it, but not the focal point. And, you know, so they had other priorities, that bigger balance of life um, where it wasn't the generation that had five, six kids and, you know, everything was invested in that. There was a generation where, you know, it was a part of a more well-rounded sort of life situation. And uh, we were part of it, but we weren't the part of it. We were in the back of the station wagon 
you know, facing probably back. Facing <laughs> the back again, no seatbelt. You know, probably fighting with our sisters along the way. Um, but really, you know, along for the ride, along for where our boomers, the the parents, the older boomers, and and matures before that, where they were going and where they were taking us. And being the smaller generation, just the sheer numbers uh, just didn't work out in our favor. And um, we went through through our formative years, you know, coming out of school, a much different economic situation than the boomers. You know, there was a supply and demand uh, issue with the boomers that was their advantage. We needed workers. We needed roles filled. We needed leaders uh, in jobs, which just definitely wasn't the case for us. Because our jobs, the jobs we wanted, were occupied by boomers who were making it happen. And so we've been dominated, you know, by that force, that volume, that sheer scope. Um, and then just when we thought we had it all figured out, then the millennials come behind us. And really, they're, they're the byproduct of the boomer mentality. They're the kids of the younger boomers. And so they have all that same energy and all that same appreciation for self-worth and self-accomplishment and fulfill your dreams and the investment in the kid. Um, the SUV came out of the boomer connection with their kids. No kidding. To be together. We are a generation without SUVs because no one cared. You know, it wasn't about that togetherness. They're, yeah, you can take your bike by yourself. Take your bike, you go. You find it. You find your way. You know, figure it out, kid where the, the SUV was created by that connection between the younger boomer parents and the, the value of being with their kids and their kids' friends and be with them at the soccer field and the baseball game and the swim meet and you name whatever millions of activities were going on for the millennials that they were, by the way, awarded ribbons for each and every one of them. Um, that that is a really healthy spirit of that connection and that togetherness and that connection that we were a little bit out of the mix on that. We were on our own. And, you know, again, I'm dramatizing this overall, but for the most part, I think that really characterizes who we are as a generation and, and builds our values and a lot of the independent spirit right. that you feel now from Gen X driven by that was because we, we had to be, we were brought up that way and, and our life situation and getting from here to there and things we'd participate in. Uh, oftentimes it was because we we're on our own. Yeah, you had to figure it out. And I think that figure it out. you brought that up perfectly to really show how Gen X did become the independent generation that they are today. Just how the economy was different in terms of finding your own opportunity, how your, the parenting style was different in terms of how you you know, I guess interacted and there's a little bit of that self-governance or raising yourself in that generation. And I think that's, it's a powerful thing to recognize that the millennials had a lot more of that togetherness, whether it's through the SUV or whether it's the fact that mom and dad were still coming back and giving them the support, whereas Gen X was just more independent. Right. They, you know, they didn't necessarily, right, wrong, or indifferent, didn't necessarily have that intense involvement, I think, by their parents and that their parents really wanted them to figure it out on their own. You, you wrapped it up well and, and uh, definitely didn't want to, you know, insinuate that our parents were negligent for the most part, <laughs> for the most part, that it was a lot of it. I believe there was some intent behind it, as you say, you know, and, and well, 
they've got to figure it out sometime. I mean, you can just hear the voice of dad, you know, in the background, like, well, how is he going to figure it out if he can't do it himself? And the trial and error and that, you know, you can, you can do it, you figure it out sort of thing, which is really healthy. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a little bit of a consequence from the really good things that you get with the younger boomers connection with their kids and the millennials in that support, that, that partnership, that nest, that, um, you know, that you get that good thing. You get that feeling that, well, I can do anything. I can accomplish anything. I've got the support system around me, but a little bit of the compromise that you get from that is, well, that support system is just that it's not, it can't do it for me. I've still got to do it on my own. And that I think is the more difficult lesson you see with the millennial generation is the parental involvement was so strong for many that the ability to develop coping skills and understanding how to pick yourself up and how to persevere is not as developed across everyone in the generation. Some people have that and they understand how to do it. Some, because they had lovely parents with the most beautiful intent, just didn't have that opportunity to understand that life goes on after things don't work out and this is how you're going to pick it up and no one's going to save you. You kind of have to learn how to just sit in it, reflect on it, learn from it and keep going. Well, one example of that, I think you hit the nail on the head, is um, sports. So you can learn a lot from the field, you know, growing up both as a parent and as as a kid. So we have two kids, uh, my wife and I, my son's going to be 19 next week and my daughter's going to be 21 coming up. But so we had, I don't know, 15 years or so of sports fields, like every, you know, we're at a field this way or that way doing something And the coaches that I always appreciated were that they were Gen X coaches who, if there was an issue, no problem, but the kid had to advocate for himself, not the parents. So no problem. They would address anything, you know, playing time or coaching style or whatnot. But the rule of thumb was it's got to come from the kid. Too many times the parents would swoop in, try to solve the problem. Never, never went over well, never worked out. Right. You know, just a valuable lesson there in that, you know, the parents can be behind, not in front. And I think that's sometimes a lesson in the workforce that some managers have to retrain and some managers have to work around is that, you know, it's, it's about you and advocating for yourself and where you want to be and not relying on someone else to do that work for you. Right. Thinking that, Hey, they're going to notice me. They'll see me and they'll pick me up and bring me to this next um, opportunity or this next position. And I think that is something you might see. I think you probably see a balance of both with the younger generation, either that so much lovely confidence that they are very strong at advocating for themselves. And then you have the people that may need or really desire someone to do it for them. Right. But before we go back in there, um, I've loved our, I love our conversation so far, but for those that don't know you, which I'm going to assume many of our listeners are just getting to know you for the first time, Steve, tell us about your path to where you are today, what your role is today and how you, the evolution, how you grew and started through your career. Right, right. So um, currently I am CMO of Globus Family Brands and we're a travel company and we specialize in international travel and have four different ways that we do that. And I've been with Globus now for 18 years. And I know some people probably just fell over when they were listening to that. (laughs) 
but it's true. 18 years. And, you know, I didn't go into that with intent, like I'm going to start this job and then I'll be there for 18 years and then we'll see where it takes you. But, um, my path to that job started with, um, way back when, when I was out of school is, uh, wanted to be in the communications business and, and to be in marketing. And so, you know, job market was really tough. I would take anything that was related to that and just get started. And the whole idea at that time was just get started. doesn't matter where, what you're making or what level. If you just go in and, and like we were talking about with that Gen X value, just get started. Just prove yourself. It's up to you. Just do it. Get in there. You'll figure it out. You figured out how to cook a Swanson microwave dinner every Saturday <laughs> night when you were alone at home. You can figure this out too. So there was a real priority on a, a sense of just urgency to get started. And that's exactly what I did. I took an internship that I don't even think was paid. Uh, you know, uh, that'll build into, you know, a, a full time job, which, you know, got hired by the advertising agency I started with at $18,000 a year. And all I cared about was, is that enough to move out? from my parents' house. It wasn't, but I did anyway. And, you know, just lived, you know, hand to mouth and, you know, just get in and, and make the best of it. I guess that was the approach. I don't think that was unique to me, Jen. I think that was really symptomatic of the, the generation and the time started working in 1990. And I think it was just about, well, just getting, get started and then grow. Just you, you can do it with hard work, perseverance, uh, gain skills on the job and just keep going, just keep rolling. And kind of how I attribute success with it is that there wasn't a lot, not just with me, but I think a lot of folks in our generation, not a lot of moving from one job to another, maybe one or two big moves, you know, that seminal move that gets you that big opportunity that you can't refuse, but it wasn't a natural part of what I saw from my peers. Uh, it certainly wasn't with me. I'm in my second job right now. Um, I think it was more symptomatic of, of that value that I can work this out, that it's in my hands to make my situation better. If I'm not getting an opportunity that I want, it's not my boss's problem. It's not the organization problem. It's my problem. And I've got to figure out a way to make this a new reality. And the phrase I always use, it gets eye rolls from you know, millennials in our workplaces that, you know, the grass isn't greener on the other side, it's greener where you water it. And so make that investment in where you are and create your own reality and continue to grow and develop where you are before you look elsewhere. No, that's a great point too, because for, for many, it's the belief that either they don't know how to advocate for themselves or feel like they aren't really sure what to do to advocate. Like, what should I be advocating for? What do I even want to do? Do I even want to work here? Yeah. But what you're saying is that, remember, the power is all within us. That before you take that leap to that next company, make sure you understand what you're jumping for. Right. What do you really want to achieve that you're lacking in your current position? And can it be something that's resolved from even a conversation with your own boss to say, I am really passionate about this, or I really enjoy this. How could I infuse some of this into my current role versus just abandoning that? Which, you know, it's interesting. You said it's your second job over your tenure. And one of the characteristics that's used to describe Gen X, Gen Xers is mm -hmm. 
They're very loyal. Mm -hmm. And that to me, that, you know, that really demonstrates that sense of loyalty. Like I will work here and I want to commit and invest my time for you. And it's a beautiful thing because when you see that return for companies of having that institutional knowledge and someone that can also just develop everyone around them on the past, on the present, on the future, it's powerful in terms of what you can do for an organization given your tenure there. Right. Well, that loyalty, I'm glad you touched on that because that really goes back to what we were talking about, you know, getting started and and when you're being raised as a Gen Xer is pretty much our parents' parenting style was, um, it's your deal. It's your deal. Like if you were um, having an issue with your teacher at school, it's something you need to account for. We're not going to go in and talk to your teacher because we assume she's right. And we assume that the or- the overall uh, organization, that the structure has a point. So if you're struggling, you figure it out. You deal with it. We're going to give the benefit of the doubt to the hierarchy, to the structure. And, you know, that's not necessarily very nurturing, but certainly, you know, builds a lot of character and resolve about what you mentioned about loyalty and making of a situation what you want it to be. And of course, you know, don't be ridiculous about it. If you find a real roadblock or a difficult situation, or there's an opportunity you can't refuse, of course, you know, to look at those opportunities, but really to, to work through it first. Uh, another thing you mentioned, Jen, was advocacy, and I'm really glad that you brought that up too. I think you know we I've I've had a lot of experience with folks that I've worked with who are desperately trying to find that next step. Sometimes because they're unfulfilled, or sometimes because they just think that's what life is, and you just keep taking those next steps and you take them quickly. And I've seen what I think the the right way to advocate is from the viewpoint of the employer. And that is, what can I do to help this business more than what I'm doing today? And that is a very different point than what can you do, employer, to get me where I want to go? And it gets the same result, actually, that that first is, is a faster result in that the viewpoint of it's, it's not about me, or, or at least I'm going to frame it not about me. I'm going to frame it in terms of what, how I can make a bigger contribution and advocate for yourself based on that as opposed to, hey, I'm not personally where I want to be, so what are you going to do about that? And that's, that's a challenge I think that we run into a lot in terms of that, that career growth with some of our younger uh, employees I think, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a great point that I think is very easy, especially when we're excited or if we're experiencing pain or if we want something different or we're comparing ourselves to our friends, we immediately like have that sense of urgency to say, I want this. What can this company do for me? Because I'm going to leave. Whereas if we really start with that reframe of thinking, how can I add more value? What can I do to further the mission and strategy of this? Because sometimes... In my past life, I dabbled in HR and what I, like I had one experience that I will never forget. And it was a recent college grad and she had come into my office and 
She had seen a result on Glassdoor because you can see salaries there. You can see that information on a, through a lot of different pla- similar platforms. But she came in and she was like, pushed it over and was like, I need to be making this. <laughs> and she's like, and if I don't, if I'm not making this, then I'm going to quit. Yeah. And I looked at her and I felt like it was the, you know, a little bit of that nurture to say, I'm going to make this a teachable moment for you. Right, right. right. That's a very teachable moment. <laughs> Versus thinking, yeah. you know, like, first and foremost, like, never go to the negotiating table and tell someone that you're going to walk away. Right. Especially when you're in an entry-level position. You have to understand that entry-level, like, you may be a great person, but if you're already starting to show a lack of loyalty, what what would incline someone to come to the negotiating table, right? right. And so sometimes it is thinking and remembering that, as much as we do have a lot of power because we have that power of choice that's associated with technology and globalization that we still have to remember how we need to support an organization and that what the employer is actually going to want from right. us. Right. Now how did that work out for? So it worked out well. We did end up getting her the raise. Uh, but mm-hmm. that was not it came after me having a direct conversation with her to say I, you know, this is your teachable moment. Yeah. You, you are lucky up. you met me mm-hmm. and I'm not, you know, and I didn't say that in a pompous way, but I'm like, right. I want to say that my background is within coaching and I want to help you with this, right. but never do that to someone again yeah. because they will probably not respond that in the same That won't work out way. too well. No, you got lucky this time. <laughs> and well, so we had lots, we had a few other meetings after that and I eventually did work for her and I said, this is what you need to do, right? We need to, yeah. how are you producing value for them? Why do you think that you earn this? And let yeah. me also teach you about what negotiation is. So down the line, if you are negotiating something, so you know how to ask for it up Good front for versus after the fact. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> to, on that story, people get employers, you know, no matter what the generation, Gen X, boomers, totally relate to ambition, totally relate to um, speed of growth and responsibility and adding and, and uh, feeling more of, of not only your own ambition, but uh, where you want to be long-term, totally get it. That And sometimes I don't know if that's something that clearly gets expressed because sometimes the pace at which that happens is a bit unrealistic in terms of expectations, especially at that entry level because everyone's exposed to everything, right? right. Everyone sees what everyone else is making. You can find, you know, you can find what you're looking for. And so your, your visibility is so broad, but your experience with that is so narrow. And so it's, we understand that the pace then of that progress can be seen as, as slow or gosh, they don't get it. Or they're trying to just keep me in that spot because you know, that works better for them or they don't get me. It's, it's, it's not, it's definitely not that at overall, again, just totally generalizing here. It's that um, there's a balance between knowledge and experience. And just because you're exposed to it and because you can see it and have functional knowledge, uh, it doesn't mean that that is yet rounded out into the next opportunity. It's like every Western, I don't know, do Westerns still exist? Every now Western really you see, yeah, yourself. I know now. It's like, <laughs> oh, the old, in the old West. No, Western <laughs> movies. Okay, I'll, I should... I should reframe that. Still Western. dating yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Western. Yeah, Google it. I mean, I'm sure you can find a Western on YouTube or something, right? So there's always like the grizzled, 
you know, the um, gunsman and, you know, the veteran gunsman and there was the, you know, the young one and the, the young guy is like a perfect shot, right? He's like excellent marksman. He can hit the can off the fence post from a hundred yards away. He's like, oh, I'm ready. You know, let's go out, you know, tackle the wild west. And, and the veteran always looks him in the eye like, you know, there's a big difference between being able to hit that can and looking a man in the eye with a barrel of a gun. It's the difference between knowledge, that functional knowledge of being able to hit that can and the experience of being able to know when to use it and have the wherewithal of, of having that experience to put it in play. So I think, you know, Westerns probably teaches everything we need to know yeah, about generations there. right there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, but I think that's a, it, that's a really great way to look at it. Be, and I would put it back to you in a different way. I think that oftentimes we misvalue the role of technical skills. And sometimes we may look at our technical functionality as now I am deemed an expert, but we're missing the fact that the soft skills are on the other side of it and that those are the ones. So as in the Westerns, you might know how to shoot the gun, but do you know how to actually decide when to use it, who right. to use it with, what the consequences are going to be, that big picture view or, of yeah. what you're looking at. And so I do love, I just love the Western example, but it it is very true. I think there's sometimes when you don't have that experience, you place a lot of emphasis on the technical skills of your role and you miss out on the fact that there is actually another side of it that you really need to have developed that will put you in a better position to actually be successful if you trust that that needs to happen. If you appreciate that it's there. And I'll tell you <clears throat> that the knowledge, the functional skill is miles ahead of where we were. Miles ahead. The, the knowledge, the expertise, the confidence, the talent that the millennials have that they can apply to a functional skill is amazing. I mean, I'm amazed at our workplace every day based on just the, the confidence and, and the security that they can show in, in a functional skill. Now, there, there are three parts to wisdom. One is that knowledge. Two is the experience we talked about. And third, kind of down the road is perspective, you know, and being able to really have a feel of when to apply it. But if if all three layers, I don't know if I've ever met a person that that has nailed all three layers of this wisdom at the right time. I guess they'd be, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, guru or, um, you know, Zen master if they if they had all of it at one time. But if you can find that functional talent that millennials have in spades because of how well educated and informed and energized and uh, accessible access that they had to the finest education and ongoing education that we've ever had as human beings. If you can, you know, add that on top of that knowledge, some sense of experience, like, okay, like not to sound a hundred years old, but just that framing of, okay, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I could learn about application. And then that third level of, you know, having some perspective of like, okay, I've seen it work and I've seen it not work. And, and just knowing when you've tried something and it hasn't gone too well, just having that under you just really rounds out that whole idea of, of wisdom. I think it's unfair to ask millennials to have all three. I really do. 
I think focus on, on that knowledge is exactly where they should be because the organization doesn't have it without them. We don't know how to do this, how to get from here to there, how to apply technology at the rate that it's growing in the best way for our business. Uh, thank God they've got it. Thank God that rounds out our workforce right now. And it's much appreciated. If on the other end, that more was appreciated for millennials of like knowledge doesn't equal wisdom that I need, I could learn from this old dude. I could see how it's worked for them in the past. I could, you know, spend a little bit more time to kind of round out my viewpoint before I jump into something that, that I think what's fair to ask is, is, is grasp that knowledge, seize hold of it and don't let anyone ever forget you've got it. But to know that there's, there's experience too that comes with it that can help guide you and maybe make things a little bit more graceful when you're looking for that next opportunity. Yeah. It's my grandpa always said this to me and he said it multiple times, but the quote, I have a million dollars of advice, but to you, it means nothing. And it's speaking to the fact that he has wisdom, right? But until I experience it, until I understand it, it won't have any value for me. And I think that's kind of where, and I'm part of the millennials. I'm part of what you would call the cusper, like in between. So mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a 1982 child. Yeah. So I'm right there. You but can appreciate everything. <laughs> I can appreciate <laughs> both of them. Yeah. But it's, you know, I think the sense of urgency, even when I was early in my career, yeah. of just wanting to climb, climb, climb. If you asked me, you know, this is now over five years ago before I switched trajectories and where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. I would have thought I would have been a buyer and I would have been doing all of these things at a large retailer or maybe a small retailer. And now I would do that for fun, but I would never want to do it for a job again. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't get the career opportunity that I wanted with as, you know, in as fast of a time that I wanted it, it was devastating, right? Because we put that sense of urgency. We, we don't, understand how everything works. And so then, yes, we come and we can make those assumptions like my boss is holding me back or they don't see this where it's, it actually has nothing to do with you at all. Nothing to do with you. It's just the way that it goes. And you need to rely on people that have, you know, a little bit more developed soft skills and experience to make those decisions, especially when they get higher up and they're going to have a greater impact to your bottom line. And, you know, my boss has taught me that there are always things that you won't see. Everyone has a boss and everyone has a boss who is privy to things that they aren't. It's just the nature of the workforce, just the nature of the business world. And that sometimes you have to appreciate that you don't have the full view and no one, no one does. I mean, unless really it is your company, your building, your name, you know, you are the shareholder, you know, it's all you, then there's no way around that. And that's hard to swallow sometimes, especially if you're um, eager or not to say impatient, but if things aren't moving at the at the pace you believe, just an appreciation that, okay, maybe there's another side to the story. Maybe there's more I need to help uncover here. And like we talked about earlier, you know, do that from the perspective of of the employer. How can I add more value instead of how can I get what I want? Right. So I want to go back to, I love our conversation. I want to go back to kind of understanding how you as a Gen Xer see the differences in your organization or through your experience. What generational differences do you notice in the workplace 
with a baby boomer versus a millennial versus a Gen Xer? Wow. That isn't that the big question. That is the big question right there. (laughs) Well, you know, from my experience, one, one discernible difference that I can see is that, you know, I would, I would define leadership as getting a group of human beings to accomplish a intended goal. And I don't think that that definition of leadership is exactly what most millennials would, would use that, um, as opposed to saying, Hey, you know, a Gen X approach, like we talked about with independence and kind of, um, self-sufficiency is, okay, that's the intended goal. We're going this way. You guys are with me. Let's go. And, you know, one difference I see with millennials is remember they were in the SUV. They were a part of the community and they had been from day one. They were all together and they were making the collective decisions together from day one, you know, be it, Hey, where we're headed in this SUV or what sport I'm going to play or, um, things weren't dictated to them. They were part of it. And I see that almost daily in the workplace that, that the part of, of a project or even project leadership is more communal and it's more about, I need to know my role and how it plays in the overall picture. I don't just need to roll know that we're going in that direction and how I need the, why I need that rounded out for me to be on this bus, you know, to be uh, a part of it. And, um, I need the why. And, um, for us, the why was secondary. It was almost like, why? What? What do you, you mean? Because that. that's what, <laughs> yeah, because that's what my boss wanted <laughs> right. of me. And that's where we're headed. And isn't it given, you know, that that's where we're headed? Can't you see that's where we're going? Is it, It's assumed. And, you know, taking that step back from a Gen X standpoint and understand that people play a more valuable role than just fulfilling, you know, one specific slot in the overall picture and they can contribute more and they have more, like we talked about more knowledge, uh, functionally and overall they're, they're smarter. Um, they have more to contribute and they want to know more about the, the total picture, um, than maybe just that one little piece that is the part that we need to happen in order to get to the, to the goal. So I think for Gen X, they're still learning. I, I know that I am in stopping, stepping back and saying, this is the why, this is what we're all about here and getting some buy-in on the why and making sure that people understand the whole picture before just charging ahead. Um, Then you asked about boomers. What's the difference with boomers? Right. And I guess from your perspective, it's going to be more more likely that you had boomer leaders. My so boss, what was it yeah. like to have a baby boomer leader? Baby boomer leaders. Or how would you describe their style? Wow. Okay. So I don't have vast, vast experience here because like I said, I've had two careers in my life. My boss is a boomer. He's a great guy. Uh, why? Okay. Now I'm about to insult him. I feel so. <laughs> yeah. This is like a trap. <laughs> yeah, this it is a total trap. Uh, boomers <laughs> is um, you have to make yourself relevant to them. I'd say, um, again, it, it's about them and it's about what they have on their plate and where they're going. That's probably no different than any boss, no matter what generation you are actually. And how is my 
thing that I need, either, you know, help with a decision or support or, you know, resources. How is what I need relevant to them? And what's relevant to them, I, I really believe is um, probably what's relevant to all humans is that I'm going to make, this is going to help you. This is going to help you. This is going to help your work. This is going to help your career. This is going to help your day-to-day life. Um, that I'm here for you. And that boomers, everyone's been there for them their whole lives, their parents, their society, consumerism, products, things were built, literally designed for them, around them. And I think work, the workplace is no different. So how, how can this help you? How can, it, how can this be a thing that I'm not going to burden you with? I'm actually going to help you out by uh, involving you in this. How do you think in your experience, how do you think the workplace has evolved from when you started with more of a larger percentage of baby boomers in the organization to where you are today, where you're likely having more millennials in the Gen X mix in there? It's it's better. It's faster. It's smarter. It's uh, more agile. It's more dynamic. It's more empathetic. It's more responsible. Um, these are all influences from millennials. Everything I think I just rattled off about the Moors is an influence from millennials helping businesses keep pace and um, sometimes pushing businesses in directions like kids. Um, You know, I've looked back on my life and kids, they can be the instigator really in a household to move ahead, Uh, you know, be it a move or, you know, something needs to, to happen or even you know, like being more responsible in the house. And and I think that's no different in the workplace. We are far better off with the incredible minds that we have today entering the workforce. Um, so there's no doubt that businesses are, are more positioned now to compete on the international level due to that influence. If boomers and, and Gen X can guide that with more of that balance of experience and perspective, then we're in the chips that we've really hit a home run. And I think that's our responsibility for Gen X and boomers before they completely give up and retire on our shoulders, (laughs) (laughs) which they will, you know, they will, they'll get all the good houses and all the good condos. And And then Gen X will um, get nothing. We'll get nothing like it once more, but at least if, you know, before they head out can make that contribution help round out that knowledge with with really consciously trying to 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 make perspective and experience tangible in the in the workplace and that's tough you know because you can't you, no one has time to sit down and say well come come sit with me and let me impart my wisdom upon you right you know for the next hour let me schedule a meeting with you where I just give you you know random thoughts about success in the workplace we have to consciously do that though. We have to consciously think of projects that we know through a connection with the millennial by our side, that that's going to give them a sense of perspective. That's going to give them a sense of experience and, and the project's going to be better because they're going to move it faster. Their, their knowledge is going to accelerate it. So I think that's probably a practical way to do it in the workforce is, is by project, to consciously pick out projects where you're tagging millennials for development. 
And then you're bringing into that, you're answering that why. The more that they can get involved in some of those projects, I think you're helping them see that why, which is giving more of that desire for meaningful work or doing work with purpose. Right. Um, What would you say is your working style as a Generation X leader? Uh, Well, to be critical about it, uh, um, we're going to do this. Here it is. Uh, Linear. I think would be a, a style that would characterize a lot of Gen X, not just me. We're here. We need to be there. It's that way. Let's go and charge. Let's go. And um, again, you know, going back to where we started our conversation, that's really how we've lived our lives is got to do it. Got to go. No choice. Um, and uh, that's probably that is different. That linear approach. It's more circular. I believe, you know, with millennials and gather around, you guys are going to be a part of this. You guys are going to each contribute to something bigger um, than ourselves, opposed to just accomplishing a goal. You guys are going to be more fulfilled and rounded out by having this experience that is also, by the way, going to contribute to us getting to our goal. So one of the things that they can, that I guess I've read about Generation X, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot for answering for an entire generation. That's it, yeah. (laughs) But one of the things that, um, I guess one of the criticisms sometimes that can be brought up by Gen X is that they're so independent and they have such a hands-off approach because they prefer that for themselves because that's how they were raised, that sometimes they apply that to their millennials and then that's where they could have hiccups because the millennial might be wanting a little bit more focus and handholding as a result of their parenting style. What do you have to say about that? The bad rap of saying that you're, you know, you're right. too hands off. Right. The downside of this self-sufficiency independence. I think there's truth to it. I think there's truth in every stereotype or every generality. That's kind of the fun part of this podcast is we get to talk about it, you know, right. kind of bring <laughs> these to light and, and make these broad generalizations. I think it's true. Uh, I think that is a consequence. Just as we talked about millennials, maybe a consequence of their um, involved and engaged parenting has been that they sometimes, you know, expect a soft landing. Uh, that's a consequence, I think, in in the case of where we were growing up, that um, this single-mindedness and independent spirit is a consequence. Uh, it's helped forge a lot. It's helped get a lot of businesses where they are now and get a lot of stuff done with a very little. Um, but the downside is that we knew a better, we need to do a better job as we get to this point in our careers where it's really the magic time where we need to think about consciously that this, this idea of perspective and in stopping and saying, wait a minute, people aren't just going to follow me because I'm going, you know, People are going to follow me and dedicate by follow me, like really dedicate their their hearts and, and their minds into a goal. They're really going to be dedicated if there's a difference in the approach. And, and it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to slow down and to have that perspective. Um, but it it's on us. It has to be a conscious decision that we make that if we can provide that balance with that independent spirit, with that sense of the why, then I think we're cooking with gas. Well, and I think it's it's not all just on you, Steve, right? Okay. Because to the all right, millennial- thank you. Good. <laughs> I feel better already. Because to the millennial, it is putting that on 
there's a level of ownership and responsibility that yeah. they have that millennials and I'm a millennial, so I can say this, like we have to make things happen on our own. We can't trust that there is going to be always some great opportunity that just perfectly falls into our lap or that someone is going to see this beautiful like speck of talent and want to nurture and grow it. Yeah. We have to take that responsibility to make it happen on our own. And also we need to learn what happened or learn what to do when things don't go our way. Yeah. And that, you know, having those coping skills of saying, okay, well, this didn't work out. I don't have to quit and leave. I can figure out another approach or I can do X, I can do Y. You know, it's that balance of coming together. Yes, Gen X needs to slow down a little bit, but millennials, I would argue, might need to step up a little bit and take more ownership of that. Jen, you've entered the tough love segment of the uh, <laughs> broadcast right now. Uh, this is where it know, converts to a parenting. It is. I, well, I, I was always of the belief that my boss is never going to lay awake at night worried about me and my career. And that sounds a little harsh. I mean, again, my boss is a great guy. I don't know if he's ever going to listen to this or not, but uh, he's a great guy. And But the reality is tough love. He's not worried about me. He's worried about the business and he's worried about him and his family and, and what he's got going on. And so I can't assume that I'm his problem. Right. So I've got to show value to him. I can't do the opposite. I can't put it on him to do. And I do think that that's a value that Gen Xers, for one reason or another, that really have an understanding of that. Like my stuff is my problem. It's not my boss's problem. Right. So this, if there was a way that boomers could have given that value, <laughs> they, could you have done that, you know, <laughs> to their kids about, you know what, your boss, it sounds harsh because it's the wrong thing to say. Of course, you want to believe that your boss is all the time thinking about you and your needs and your growth and where you want to be. And they really, they are, but not like in the moment, you know, big picture, of course. That's an you know, insane pressure thrive. or expectation to have. And I yeah. think it's set in a different way back to you, Steve, to maybe give you the ability to trust that, you know, it's okay. We don't, no one has the attention span anymore to really be thinking about everyone at the same time. Right. No one does. And it's not, it doesn't make a boss a bad right. boss. We're not constantly having someone on their radar. It's that we are all as a society juggling and wearing so many different hats that we don't always have capacity to think about every single person and how that's going to impact them. And that is where we have to have the own, our own ability to be our own advocates. The wisdom from this millennial here, Jen, is amazing. You know, that you just imparted. <laughs> that's uh, you're absolutely right. Just you have to make it relevant, right? No matter what generation you are, that if you want to get somewhere or you have a need that you need to fill that there's another group of human beings that's going to be involved in that decision, you need to make it relevant for them. Right. And maybe that's part of the, the knowledge that the millennials still need to round out a bit. Yeah. They'll, and they, we have, we've got time. Got time. You totally <laughs> have got time. You guys are so far beyond where we are. I mean, it's, it's really encouraging and exciting to think about where it's going to go from here. I have, I have two last questions and I'm not surprised that our conversation went over, but I have two last questions for you. The last question would be, what advice would you have given your younger self? Because you have, you have worked your way up the, you know, throughout your career and you found a lot of success to now where you are today as a CMO. 
What advice would you have given your younger self? I think I got a lot of opportunities looking back. I think at the time I felt like I got them because I was great. You know, I was smart and um, yes, of course, they see it. They see it in me. But I think in reality, I got opportunities because I took a shot and um, I tried to apply creativity and do things a little bit differently when I had an opportunity. And if I was asked to do some things like, how can I do it in a way that stands out a bit? And, you know, that's more fun. It's more fun to work that way, you know, because at a minimum, you entertain yourself along the way, you know, to put more character in it. So looking back, I think that I gained a lot in my career by taking a shot at think I mean, still, you know, in the, in the circle of safety, you know, it wasn't like crazy, you know, um, knife wielding, you know, cat juggling sorts of risks, that sort cat of thing. Juggling? Cat juggling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Little, I don't know, little jerk, the movie reference right there. But, um, you know, just when, when you have an opportunity to apply your personality to it and take a shot and have fun with it and stand out, make, make your mark. And, um, I don't think you can ever lose by that. Um, at a minimum, if it doesn't go over very well, you just learned a very valuable life lesson about boundaries. Yes. An or an uh, executive president. <laughs> and, yeah. I don't think, you know, I'd rarely look back on things and think, oh man, I wish I, I, when I took a shot, rarely look back and said, I wish I wouldn't have done that. It's the inverse. It's the inverse. You look back and say, oh, I could have, I could have done more with that. I could have. Uh, applied that differently. I could have had more creativity with that. I could have made that stand out a little bit more. So I'd say, take a shot. I mean, the world is cluttered. Like you said before, attention spans are tiny. What is it now? Three seconds that people right, really it's have dropping. <laughs> focus. So we've lost people. People have dropped on this podcast like flies. They're gone. They lost uh, the totally gone. Ago. We're not talking to anybody right now, <laughs> but you know, that just with that attention span anymore, you know, express your personality. You're, you've got one. Take a shot. Once you have that, that content down, do that extra work to put that icing on the cake. I'd say that would be my advice. That's great. And I love that. Like, be, be yourself. Take risks and be authentic with it, you know? And if there's anything to gain from it, if it's failure, you're still gaining a valuable lesson. Exactly. So my last question for you, Steve, is... And, you know, again, I could talk to you all day about this. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope that whoever is still actually listening (laughs) has enjoyed it, too. But we wrap up every one of our podcasts with a final question, and that is, what is your leadership habit for success? My leadership habit for success is transparency. Transparency. I'm not smart enough to lie because, you know, can't follow it's too much to keep track of. Right. And so if you're feeling it or, or you know, there's a reason behind it, put it out there. Um, people will appreciate it. I think you'll get credit for being really direct about it. People are bad at hiding things anyway. And, you know, uh, millennials are too smart. Uh, humans are too smart, you know, to see right through it if you're not authentic that they know something's up. They might not know what is up, but that something is up. 
And so overall, I just, I don't think you can lose it all by transparency that if you're feeling something or there's a reason for it, um, that you can disclose legally, of course, um, that you put it out there and you share it. Okay. And then you build trust along the way. And you did touch on a great point too, with the transparency, people can sense it. Millennials can sense it. Boomers can sense it. Gen X can sense it. And I would just say just as similar as why we need to watch for tone in an email people can sense how you're coming through to them. And so think about how you want to communicate and how do you want to build trust with people and to develop and nurture that relationship. Yeah. So transparency. I love that. Yeah. You wrapped it up. Well, it is people, people are too smart. You know, they can, they can see through it and you're not authentic. People know when, uh, um, there's a little bit of uh, a hitch and like you said, even they can pick it up an email or a text, uh, nuance. So, and then it's a relief too. You feel better when you're actually, you know, able to put it out there. At a minimum, it's therapeutic. Yes. Well, Steve, thank you so much for um, for being willing to talk with us today about Gen X. I hope we didn't make you too much of a target when you go back to work. I know. Or exactly. when you in a bad spot with a, your boss. Yeah, millennials and boomers <laughs> after me, Marsha and Cindy. No, but thank you so much for uh, joining us, for being interviewed, and also imparting your knowledge on us. I, it was a great conversation that I really enjoyed talking to you. Well, thanks. It was great to be here, and uh, I hope it helped. Sure did. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for tuning in today for our conversation with Steve Bourne of Globus Family of Brands. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and write a review. If you're looking for opportunities to develop your leadership skill set, head on over to Crestcom.com. There, you can learn more about our 12-month leadership development program and find out how to schedule a leadership skills workshop for your team. Stay tuned for next week as we wrap up our generational leadership series with Stephanie McCauley, a millennial consultant and trainer who shares her perspective working with multi-generational teams.